You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Podcast, Episode 40. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook or via our 24-hour streaming radio station, pennystocks.fm. And keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. This week in our Your Stock Our Take segment, we look at Solium Capital Inc., S-U-M, on the TSX, whose core cloud-enabled software-as-a-service offering, ShareWorks, helps both private and public companies with the issuance and exercise of equity or stock incentives, and a plethora of financial reporting, including compliance documents, all the documents essentially they are recorded, required to file as a public or private company. It is a we just answer whether it is a buy, sell, or hold at present. Our star of the week is Sangoma Technologies Corp, STC on the TSX Venture from our Canadian Discovery small cap portfolio. The stock is up 38% this month, driven by strong Q3 earnings. Finally, our dog of the week is LXR and Co. The symbol is LXR on the TSX, a unique re-commerce company that use that takes used or quote-unquote pre-loved handbags and then resells them. The stock has been cut in half over the past month to trade under a dollar after it reported strong revenue growth but continued to have sharp losses on its bricks and mortar expansion. So now let's get into the show. I welcome back my co-host, Keystone's VP and Senior Analyst, a man so impressed by the NHL expansion Vegas Golden Knights Cinderella Stanley Cup run, he has proposed that the Vancouver Canucks immediately sell the team, then buy back a new expansion club as a faster way of getting an actual respectable NHL team for the Vancouver market. Mr. Aaron Dunn, welcome back. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you. Glad to be here. How are you doing It today? is good to have you. I, I'm, I'm great. I'm great. We've got a couple issues to talk about You weren't so start. great earlier this week when we were talking about the federal government decision regarding Trans Mountain Pipeline. You had some strong opinions on that? Yeah, and we'll get into those. That's the first topic we're going to talk about uh, uh, today, the Trans Mountain expansion. The big news this week, of course, was the federal government's proposed purchase of the project. Uh, we note it is still proposed as Kinder Morgan will have to hold a shareholder's vote on it. But if the initial reaction, I think we saw in the market and the company's stock price, it was up 7% basically right after the announcement. Um, we think that it'll probably go through. So uh, there's so many various arguments on both sides of the issue for and against the pipeline itself. But there are all now almost as many against and a few for the federal liberals handling of this issue. Um, I mean, s- some of the economic arguments against the pipeline, uh, many people have pointed out that the Trans Mountain expansion was conceived at a time when petroleum prices were hitting record highs and before 
shale oil had become an important source of energy. In those heady days, it, it made some economic sense. People would argue to build the pipeline devoted to d- developing Alberta's higher cost oil sands for export. Now they would say it makes less sense. Now companies that have already invested in heavily in the oil sands will continue to mine bitumen at almost any price in an effort to offset their fixed costs. I'm not necessarily agreeing with that, but investors now, new investors in these oil sands type projects, many would say are warier or are not putting the capital in that they once were. Now, as far as just against the move, the decision to essentially nationalize this project I mean, the nationalization itself does little to advance the project. The legal questions and obstacles are still there. Uh, The government really has failed to take some action to ensure the certainty around the expansion other than just buy the project. And we might suggest that the message that's being sent to the world is in order to get a big project built in this country, you essentially have to nationalize it, which is not a good sign economically is, for business. Is that what a company wants to do when they come in into Canada and they invest no. billions of dollars? Do they want to? Do they want to do that? Do they want to invest money here just to have the government take over that project? I mean, that's not that's not the capitalist way. That's not the way that our capitalist society is is supposed to work. And you know, I have to say, maybe they just had no other choice. Maybe the only way that this Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion is going to go through is if the federal government got involved, but. You know, I do have to say that if you are somebody who does not like Trudeau, if you're somebody who does not want to see Trudeau and the Liberals reelected next year, then I believe this decision is a major gift for you. (laughs) Because I don't think it makes anybody happy, really. I don't think that it it certainly doesn't make the his environmentalist based happy. I mean, they they must be enraged by this. Uh, Most of them would think that they did not vote for Trudeau um, to to push forward energy projects like the like the Trans Mountain expansion or or other pipelines. Although Trudeau did say in campaigning that he supported uh, the movement yes. of of natural resources, whether you could people believe that or not at the time. But you know, certainly it doesn't make anybody actually happy. I mean, most of the business community, from what what I've heard from the discussions that I've had, believe that what the the federal federal government's role was to support the rule of law. And to to allow businesses to invest uh, in this country and develop the projects under the law. So the only people that are maybe somewhat somewhat happy by this decision, residents of Alberta, for example, were never going to vote for Trudeau anyways. So I think that he's really kind of he's really made a poor political decision, in my opinion. Well, and and that may may be the the reason why he has been conspicuously absent for comment following the proposed purchase. He's had his finance minister, Bill Morneau, really fall on the sword. Uh, it's it's likely, in my opinion, he's... I mean, I don't think you're going to curry any favor, but by not appearing, you're trying to curry favor with environmental extremists, First Nations activists, um, those he courted in the last election. But, I mean, I think it's ill-fated or ill-conceived because the pipeline itself enrages them. So I'm not sure how you're going to walk that tightrope at all. And I think that's what you're saying. Uh, I don't. I don't think anybody is extremely happy with Nobody's this. Happy. I, I mean, I mean, if Kinder Morgan had determined uh, that this project wasn't going to go forward and they were just losing money on it on a monthly basis, which they were at this point, uh, maybe 
they take that $4.5 billion and uh, invest it elsewhere. Maybe they are happy. Maybe the shareholders of Kinder Morgan are happy. But like we said, you don't go into these projects spending $4.5 billion uh, to, to, to sell it you know, at this stage, you're investing for an asset that could last you, you know, 50 years into the future. And, and that is not what has happened here. And we, we could also discuss the price tag of the project that, the, the, you know, the Canadians and the Canadian, Canadian government, but Canadians are paying here. Like $4.5 billion is the purchase price, but there's uh, $7.4 billion has been estimated to build out the new pipeline. And the government's uh, never built a pipeline. And, no, the, and that's I the mean, thing. I'm, I'm sure they think that it's easy, um, but yeah. they, they've never done it. And there's there's a lot of complications, no doubt, in actually getting this thing running, and then and then working at the same time against environmentalist groups, against the provincial government. It's uh, it's a bit of a mess. It's it's a major potential mess. And then not to speak of the the potential conflict of interest as well, because you have to think that this is this is going to belong to the federal government. They say that they don't want to actually own it long term, that they want to find a private buyer for it. There's only a very small handful of companies that even have the ability to buy something like that. But we'll see what happens there. Still, there's a big chance that that the government is going to have to see this through to completion and then own it afterwards, potentially. So they're exposed to obviously, if the price of oil goes down, that would have been the risk of the company that that put it in place, uh, Kinder Morgan. But what if there's what if there's some type of a, an environmental catastrophe after the fact? They're the same. They're the, the federal government is making environmental approvals while at the same time benefiting monetarily from the completion of this. So that's it's a major conflict of interest, and mm-hmm. and and yeah, whether it, the conflict it's... is real or perceived, <laughs> there's just there's a lot of landmines I see for for the government in the future. I, cost overruns, commodity price exposure. And all this political mess, it's it's uh, it's going to be quite the the bit of theater to watch. Yeah, and and that's why companies that have huge experience in this segment uh, do this. Uh, you know, crown corporations set up by a government should not be doing this, in my opinion. And the three point nine billion that's estimated, from my experience, let no mistake, there will be cost overruns. The Canadian federal government is involved. There's going to be climate change interests, First Nations rights. Quebec would like probably a share of the procurement at some point. This figure will jump. And, you know, Mornell has stated that they wouldn't be on the hook, uh, Canadians, for a tab here because they're going to sell off this at some point. They're giving no time range Well, they'd like for that. to. They'd like no, to but sell that's it the thing. Off, you, you need a buyer at the appropriate it's not, price. It's not correct. That that, yeah, exactly. It's not correct that you can just say that you're going to for sure sell this. You may be able to sell it at some point, but when you buy an asset, to say there's no real risk here to the Canadian public is ridiculous because if you cannot sell it for more in the future, you have a loss and the taxpayers are responsible for paying for that loss. Now, when we're talking about billions and billions of dollars, it has the potential to be a very poor economic move as well as strategic and a number of other ways. It's just not the way you want to see business run in the country. And, uh, I, I, you know, I, I don't think that there are many stakeholders here that can be happy with this decision. We're in uncharted territory, although somewhat coincidentally, the last time the federal government took a direct investment in the energy patch was also during the the term of a Trudeau, Pierre mm-hmm. Trudeau, back in 1975 with the creation of, of Petro-Canada. So 
not saying that that has anything to do with the family name, but it is it is interesting that that was the last time the federal government has done something like this, although a completely different situation. And at the time, in 1975, they did not have to build a major pipeline in the face of, of quite a bit of dissent. Yeah, and you mentioned the year 1975 as a, not really a segue, but I'm just going to say that's the year both myself and Aaron were born. So I'm dating ourselves right there. Yeah. I remember uh, I remember Pierre Trudeau's decision clearly. I, I, from my so do I. Right when I came out, boom. Well, I was out ahead of you, so I <laughs> I heard it. I, I, was a, I was a little more seasoned at that point when I heard the news. So. You were writing reports at that Sorry. point. Sorry. <laughs> Good. Analyzing and writing. Uh, but we digress. It's sure going to be interesting, like you said, theater to watch. Now, let's shift gears to our Your Stock, Our Take segment. Uh, we have Terry in Sarnia who asked uh, or sent in an email saying, I love Solium Capital. And I've owned it for the past year. The last quarter had good sales growth, but there was decline in earnings, and it concerns me, your opinion on it. So let's take a look at Solium. It's time we answer a question on your stock in a little segment we like to call Your Stock, Our Take. Buy, sell, or hold. SUM is the symbol on the TSX. Stock trades just above $10. What does the company do? That's important. They provide cloud-enabled services for equity-based incentive plans, including administration, financial reporting, and compliance. The company's core software as a service offering, ShareWorks, helps both private and public companies with the issuance of equity or stock options, incentives, and reporting day-to-day maintenance of their incentives database, a number of things, and all the filings that public companies and even private companies are required to do. So let's look at a Q1 financial snapshot to see where the business is at right now. Revenues increased 23% in the quarter to $26 million, so that's good. Adjusted EBITDA, however, dropped 30% to $3.5 million. Net earnings sunk, as the uh, reader or listener sent in, by about 50% to $1.3 million. So that can be concerning. There's a strong balance sheet here. Cash on hand is $87 million. There's roughly about $12.5 million in lease liabilities as debt, so good shape. So we, we have a good business here, strong financial shape, revenue is growing, but why is the profitability down? That's essentially what we're looking at. So our take, Solium, we believe, is an interesting business. We like the business and the sticky nature of software clients. The balance sheet is strong, and the client list includes some great names. The multiple you being asked to pay for the stock at current prices and based on current cash flow are high. The PE, or price to earnings, with even cash removed is in the range of 70, very high. And the price to free funds from operations, sorry, removed is just under 40, which again is high over the last 12 months. This number is artificially high in some respects in the near term as Solium continues to be in an investment phase and it remains committed to investing for future revenue growth over the course of 2018, resulting in further pressure on profitability we see in the near term. Solium entered into white-label license agreements with its U.S. partners Morgan Stanley and UBS Financial. Solium added significant headcount and committed additional resources to ensure the success of these projects. So that's where you're seeing those additional costs. And some hiring is anticipated to continue through 2018. The first customers for both partners were migrated just to the end of last year to the new uh, ShareWorks program. And the company is now actively migrating clients on a monthly basis. But there's 
it's going to take some time and likely till the end of 2019 to onboard all the clients. So until then, costs now are not aligned with current customer base uh, as efficiently as they will be. But if you're looking three to five years out, we like the business and we expect it to outperform the market over this time. Near term, it could be volatile, but a quality business here. And if you had a 10% pullback, we would look at it. So monitor the stock, hold right now if you own it. Take a look at it if it has a pullback. We'll continue to monitor this company in our coverage. Definitely uh, an interesting space to be SaaS, software mm-hmm. as a service. And what, as you said, what we do see from a lot of these companies are recurring sticky revenue streams. So revenue streams that um, are, are fairly visible, fairly dependable, predictable. And that's a great thing to have in a business. It's it, it just gives you so much, such a better idea of where the, the company is going. But really, they, they need to be able to, the second part of the equation is they need to be able to drop a significant amount of that recurring revenue down to the bottom line for recurring earnings, essentially. And and that is, is what we look for. Uh, revenue on its own is not going to be something that encourages us to, to, to buy a stock. We need to see that profitability. And when you talk about the 70 times earnings multiple, yeah, it's a high multiple. I mean, you can buy some amazingly high quality, high growth companies if you're willing to pay 70 times earnings. So if Solium is, is successful, right now you said they're in investment phase, if they're successful with these investments and they're able to cr- increase their bottom line margins and drive more profitability in the future, then then that valuation may start to look better. But that's essentially the risk is whether or yeah. not they're able to do that. Exactly. That's why we'll monitor and look for uh, uh, entry points. And it's key to look at what your time horizon is because if you're looking you know, six months to a year out or even a year and a half and you expect profits to just reaccelerate just like that, it's probably not going to happen. They're telegraphing, they're telling the market that they're going through this investment phase and profitability will be uh, difficult near term and it'll be stressed. But long, they're doing this investment for long term. They have that sticky client base. And, and so you have to be patient with the company right now and you have to have a longer time horizon. Like I said, probably three to five years out. So let's move to our next segment, and we're looking at uh, our star of the week. Aaron, I think I'm going to let you take that away. From our stars and dogs segment, it's time for this week's star. Star. Excellent, excellent. So the star of this week has got to be Sangoma Technologies. The symbol is STC. Trades right now for a price of $1.32. The stock is up 35% over the last month on strong financial results. So Sangoma is a a communications technology company. They provide software and hardware solutions to businesses. Uh, That's voice over IP solutions, data, and video products. It sells mostly to to small and medium-sized enterprises. What has pushed the stock up over the last month was a big, uh, big quarter, big earnings report released on May 15th, the third quarter report. The company reported sales of $16.2 million. That's an increase of 138% compared to the previous year. Operating income for the quarter nearly tripled to $1.4 million, and they reported earnings per share of about a cent and a half. So that was almost double uh, compared to the previous year. These results, these strong results, they were largely driven by an acquisition that the company made in the previous quarter at the start of the year in January. 
So this is driving growth right now. Uh, the company for fiscal 2018 is expecting revenue of $55 million and EBITDA earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, and amortization of $6 million. So that would be a doubling of revenues and more than a doubling of EBITDA. So very, very strong guidance looking forward here. They also they, they have a beautiful balance sheet, uh, over $10 million in net cash, about $10 million in net cash, which is about, four, about 20% of the company's current market value. We actually just put out a report, uh, no, well, in, in October of 2017, so about eight months ago, we put out a report on the company indicating it as a, as a spec buy for, for higher risk investors or people looking for a higher risk investment uh, at a price of $0.72. Cents. So Sangoma has almost doubled since we put out the, that report eight months ago. And right now, it looks like a nice little interesting microcap company with some growth, lots of momentum behind it. I would love to say more about this company right now, but we are we are updating our coverage on it to our clients. So, is this company is Sangoma a buy, sell, or a hold at this price at this at this new price? You'll have to become a client to find out. I like that teaser, but it certainly gains over the past month. Make it our star of this week and month. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it is it's a very interesting company, um, and it. You know, we talk about the gains there. Uh, Much of that has happened in the last few months over the course of this year. Uh, It's funny because it 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 reminds me of a story. We had a client, and you talk. We talk about time horizons. We talked about that when we were just talking about Solium, but uh, he had just become a client a month before, and he had called me up and he said, uh, "I bought Sangoma. Was one of the companies he bought." And he'd bought it at you know around the seventy cent range that it did it, it, it we'd recommended it at, and uh, it it had got it had done nothing he said for a month and it was trading basically around seventy and he said there was a lot of stocks moving out there and it just wasn't moving for him he was going to get out uh, and he he didn't want to be involved in the company I said well you've had it for a month you know our recommendation was it for what the company is going to do over the next year to two years at least. Uh, probably give it some time. He phoned back uh, two days later saying he'd sold it. It was down to 68 cents. He was out and he wasn't happy with uh, the recommendation. Well, I said, again, you have to align your time horizon with what we're looking for in terms of the stock to perform with its fundamentals over time. Now, they hadn't released a single quarter after the recommendation. Uh, They hadn't really, you know, we had no news out on the company. It's just trading there as a micro cap. Well, I mean, again, you fast forward to about six to nine months forward, and the stock releases three record quarters over that time. And, uh, you know, the stock, like Aaron said, has basically doubled. And instead of losing 2 to 5% on the stock, you know, that client could have been up 75 to 100% on the company. So, again, aligning your your investment with the time horizon, uh, we are not looking for a stock to perform over a two to three month period or, you know, often even a year. We're looking a year to five years out. And that is how, or that is the only way you get a company to re- to perform with its underlying fundamentals and underlying earnings numbers over time. You need to allow it time to perform. So let's move to our dog of the week. From our Stars and Dogs segment, it's time for this week's Dog. (laughs) 
I'm going to look at this. It's LRX and Co. LXR is the symbol on the TSX. This is a unique e-commerce company. Uh, that's what they call themselves. They sell slightly used or pre-loved handbags, essentially, and re- or they take them in and resell them. Call it a high-end second-hand store, a really, really high-end second-hand store. In fact, we found a used Hermes bag on their site for $34,000. Just, I have to say, used or otherwise, that is freaking ridiculous for a handbag, but apparently the retail price on this would have been roughly $70,000, so I guess it's actually a bargain. Now, you'd be happy to know that the average price for an item on the site is around 75, or in the stores is about $750, so far less, but for a handbag, it is still a high price. Now, the the bags that they specialize selling in, Hernie's, Chanel, Louis Vuitton, Gucci, Prada, so some of the biggest names in that segment. The stock is down 10% since May 24th and 50% since just the start of this month. So why? Well, let's look at the the relevant news. The, f- the earnings came out uh, on May 4th. Now, over that time, again, the stock has lost 50% since then. Revenues were actually up 62% to 9.9 million, almost 10 million. But the net loss came in at 4.3 million uh, compared to a gain in the same period last year. Now, adjusted EBITDA was about a negative 4 million compared to uh, a loss of around a million in the same period of the prior year. Now, management did come out and kind of comp to their strategy, how it's really not working right now. Uh, Their CEO said, upon further review, it is clear to me that the company's intent to meet significant unmet demand for its stores led it to do so in an unprofitable and less than efficient manner. They're saying it's their intention to come up with a successful plan to right-size the business. But uh, the company raised a great deal of money and has been using that to build out its store platform. I mean, I think they've been not efficient with it. And it begs the question as, as to whether, you know, you really needed to do these this expansion into bricks and mortar retailer at a time when that environment is very, it's a very tough environment. And then why not continue to use their online presence to sell these bags? It seems like a better place to sell them uh, and just a smarter way to grow the business. I'm not sure. Now the company does have some impressive fi- finance or fashion names behind it uh retail icon joe mimran the founder of club monaco and joe fresh who's the director and chair of the company's international business development community uh he's also a dragon's den uh dragon but uh you know he's behind this business but really it has had zero impact on the bottom line and for us the bottom line is what equates to a shop stock price particularly in the long run and this company continues to lose gobs of money and that's why its stock price in the past month is down 50% and that makes it our dog of the week. Really comes down to profitability. I mean you can see there quite plainly uh, we you know our star of the week had star financial results had tremendous blowout quarter in terms of financial results. This company had you know the bottom line was nowhere to be found and, and in fact losses continued to uh, increase and the stock is cut in half. I mean, it's the same thing that we went over last week. Uh, Expel Technologies uh, symbol, DAP.U on the TSX Venture, had an absolute blowout quarter. The stock was up 
about 60% that week. You know, it's earnings and cash flow drive these companies long term. You may have to wait for the company to actually put out a great quarter, but if it's trending in that direction, that those are the companies you want to be invested in, not the companies that are trending towards losses or continue to have losses. It's a pure speculation at that point whether or not they can turn around or actually get to a point where they have cash flow. But when they have cash flow and can grow it or break into that cash flow, you can see some tremendous gains, particularly when you're looking at smaller companies. I think that puts a wrap on our show for the week, though. Um, I'd like to thank Aaron for being here, and uh, I'd wish you all a profitable investing. Oh, and then I'm, I'm, I'm told I have to say that uh, I need, or we want all of our investors and our listeners out there to continue to send in your questions. We love answering them in our Your Stock, Our Take segment every week. So continue to send those in, and we will endeavor to answer those. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. Profitable investing.